Okay, so we all know that Trump has been extremely vocal about, you know, voter fraud, election fraud, the election being stolen from him. He said that he won all these states just because he had a lead in them, and then he's complaining because yes, about the mail-in yes, ballots. They're one-sided and... only or yeah. something like that. He's so mad about it. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to take a look at basically um, what other U.S. presidential transitions across history may have also been a little testy. You know, because it couldn't possibly just be Trump who's a poor loser. Yes, there has to be others. So what yes. did you learn? Well, I learned a lot of interesting things, actually. I, I, I took a fun, deep dive into history. Like, a lot of things I didn't know before. Um, but I guess before I jump into that, I just kind of want to say that, yeah, Trump, Trump's been a problem. He went, he went in um, when he came in after Obama saying that he wasn't born here and, you know, trying to delegitimize him. And then Obama was... Slap him back with the basically just that you're unfit for the presidency. <laughs> yes, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then uh, Biden had a good quote recently as well because Trump's trying to retain power. So Biden said, "I just think it's an embarrassment, quite frankly. How <laughs> how can I say this tactfully? I think it will not help the president's legacy." Wow, it was a pretty good line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is. A um, good one. Yeah, and like despite the fact that maybe it's good entertainment for me or you. Um, it's it's important to have a smooth presidential transition. Yeah, I think it would it would only make sense to have a, a smooth transition so that um especially when you're changing parties, right? Totally. So that everything Well, the danger right now is specifically with COVID because um Biden is supposed to be able to sit in on the daily presidential briefings um just to get up to speed before he takes office, but Trump's been blocking him, denying him and, you know, if they're if there is any chance of a vaccine rollout this year, then that could seriously be delayed or, you know, just not implemented in the uh, fastest way possible. Yeah, that seems really yeah. bad. So Biden's not going to know what's going on until basically he gets the job in January, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And if you go back to um, George Bush and Al Gore, uh, the 9-11 Commission actually said that there, if there had been a longer transition and more cooperation, that there might have been a better response to the 9-11 attack or it might have even been prevented because supposedly, wow. yeah, from what I read, um, when they were fighting over the voting count in Florida – um, that was time that George Bush could have been assembling a national security team, but wasn't. Wow, that is mm -hmm. very interesting. So uh, huge yes. consequences potentially to uh, not having smooth transitions. Absolutely. And Bill Clinton had a lot of fingers pointed at him for holding back the transition during that recount and um, kind of delaying the Supreme Court decision regarding that. And if you're wondering, the Supreme Court, they ruled 5-4 that no constitutionally valid recount could be completed by their December 12th uh, safe harbor deadline, like their safe cutoff. Oh, that's interesting. So they didn't have any of this settled until the twelfth. Yeah, exactly. Of like it was argued so in the eleventh of December, uh, yeah. and yeah, they they didn't know for quite a while. And um, that one was yeah, it was five four. So it was kind of Scalia and the conservatives uh, voted against the recount because they their argument was that there just wasn't um, yeah, like uh, in Florida they had so many different. Um, kind of rules and regulations like it was not streamlined so every county kind of had a different idea of what should count as a legal vote and what shouldn't like i mean in some counties crumpled corners would be a, a ballot you cast aside and other ones that had like maybe an ink splotch or something would be counted but not a crumpled paper so wow that's so that's the supreme so court was you like think it's it would too, be a little bit yeah. more streamlined even mm -hmm. just by, For, per by state, state yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly there was a lot of different rules and then 
kind of the uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg side of the equation was more like, well, every vote should count. Um, it's, you can't say that it's not constitutional um, to count legally cast yeah. votes. But anyway, they lost at the end of the day. And it came down to 537 votes in Florida, but they didn't recount. Bush just won. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so that's, that's like the most recent concrete example of what was a really uneasy transition. All right, so now if we jump back in time, we go way back into the 1800s, uh, the very, very beginning of it, actually. So when George Washington decided to leave the presidency, uh, John Adams was the first guy in after him. Right, yes. But then the first... Um, election, the first battle was uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson after uh, Adams had been in for like a few, a few uh, controversial years, like people didn't think maybe he did the best job. Yeah, yeah. But so yeah, so Thomas Jefferson came in and those guys, you know, they were both founding fathers. They were both uh, good, good friends, but they found themselves on the opposite side of the Federalist Republican divide. And yeah, if anyone has uh, seen Hamilton, they might have a bit of context here, but basically, um, Thomas Jefferson was all for states' rule, and he wanted states to have more power, whereas the Federalists, they wanted a strong central government. Yes, which is more in line with what mm -hmm. Washington wanted as well. Exactly. So John Adams and Alexander Hamilton were, were both Federalists. Washington wanted a strong central government. But interestingly to note, I read that um, John Adams was actually really snobbish and rude to <laughs> George Washington. Wow. And, yeah, at the beginning, That's he crazy. said he wasn't uh, fit for presidency as well because he was like a gruff farm boy and uneducated, basically. Wow, very interesting. So yeah. he, he did not respect Washington. But everyone else does. So what does that say about John Adams? <laughs> okay, yeah, so basically, there was an election in 1800. It was extremely testy. It led to a big falling out. Um, the supporters on both sides were, you know, hurling their worst insults at each other. So Jefferson supporters described John Adams as hideous and hermaphroditical. Oh, my God. <laughs> and those who backed Adams referred to Jefferson as mean-spirited and low-lived. And basically, things were bad between them. And again, they were close friends. But Adams did not even show up for Inauguration Day when Jefferson won. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. um, but I read that Adams actually left Jefferson a nice note in the White House saying that he had left him seven horses Seven horses and two carriages for his use. <laughs> That's so nice. Seven yeah. horses. He left him a nice note, but he did this thing, this very controversial thing called the midnight appointments, where in his last few weeks in office, he put forward all these new judges that were meant to reinforce Federalist ideals. Wow. Yes. And when Jefferson came in, it basically led to a landmark Supreme Court case because he had to, you know, fight for his state's rule. Wow. That's very interesting. So he just secretly added in... Um, a bunch of new judges. Yeah, that almost sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how, uh, how much yeah, history judges repeats itself, have to I do guess, with hey? this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those two guys, they did not speak to themselves or to each other after the campaign, like for 12 years. They wow. didn't talk to each other until uh, 1812. But once they started talking again, uh, they were fast friends, you know. They kept up an amazing correspondence for the rest of their lives until they both died hours apart on the same 4th of July. Wow, in that's so interesting. 1826, yeah. The same day they died. That is so interesting. Um, and then they kind of reconciled just because uh, John Adams was kind of saying this thing, basically, that was like he wanted a government of laws and not a government of men. And Thomas Jefferson agreed. Okay, so if we fast forward past John Adams and Jefferson, we have John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson. So this is a different, a different guy. John yeah. Adams. John Quincy. Okay. So this is in 1828, and they're actually having a rematch because John Quincy Adams won the first um, campaign, and then four years later they 
duked it out again. Interesting. Now, uh, Jackson supporters were extremely upset because they thought they lost the first election due to what they're labeling as a corrupt bargain. Basically, they said that John Quincy Adams and this guy Henry Clay cut an inside deal where John Quincy Adams would be president and then um, Clay would take over after him. Do you think that they did cut that deal? That's entirely possible. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that it didn't happen. I don't know much about that, but... Um, basically the Jacksonians, like, I mean, their resentment only grew across the four years that they were in office. Um, and so it fueled a really mean, dirty campaign for 1828. Even by today's standards, it was pretty rough. Yeah. I think this is one of the worst ones I read about for sure. So, um, Jackson's marriage came under intense scrutiny, uh, as did his ownership of slaves. They called Jackson a closet Caesar. (laughs) <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and what really happened that was quite terrible was um, uh, Andrew Jackson's wife, Rachel Jackson, who was like already really hated politics, already was like not interested in this. Basically, they went after her in the public. Like, That's brutal. They took her down. They called her a slut, a bigamist. And she was basically publicly tormented until she died. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, That's even before horrible. the election campaign was over. Oh my gosh. They blame that her death so on like the sad. Yeah, on just like the stress pressure and, like, or the people hating her wow, so much. That's all horrendous. Mm-hmm. So she died. Now, um Jackson ended up winning easily. Anyway. <laughs> so oh, interesting. Yeah, he got in. Um he got a lot of the votes, a good strong majority. Um, but basically that's not where not where the shenanigans ended. So um once he won, his supporters like surged into Washington to try to prevent any 11th hour hijinks that maybe John Quincy Adams had planned. Any more appointment of judges or anything like that. But they literally (laughs) busted through the White House windows. Like they broke in, soiled the carpets, upturned the furniture, broke the china, like ripped the curtains off the wall. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. Yeah, they completely destroyed it. They were like a horde of barbarians. And John, or, uh, yeah, John Quincy Adams had to escape out the back. Andrew Jackson had to also flee so he wasn't crushed by his own supporters. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Some people it was pretty are... intense. <laughs> and then afterwards, uh, Andrew Jackson, um, he basically fired everyone that would worked there. And there was a lot of White House staffers that were like, you know, not really political roles. Like, yes, they, yeah, it was just their job. And yeah. customs collectors. Yeah. yeah. But at that time, they basically had had been holding their jobs for decades and were thinking that like it was their property. They were going to bequeath this job to their son. Yeah, um, it was their job. That but was... Jackson was like, no, we need uh, regular rotation in office for democracy to work. And honestly, Jacksonian politics changed um, like U.S. politics forever because of this. Well. Mm-hmm. That and is a crazy. Andrew Jackson became a two-term president, which, as you know, there really isn't that many of. No, mm-hmm. not the norm. Okay, so let's keep going here. So Abraham Lincoln, he also had a very, very difficult transition period. Now, the guy in before him, James Buchanan, he was kind of seen as sort of a like a lame duck, kind of docile and not really useful, really. Um, okay. The civil slavery crisis had grown across his four years as president, and he did nothing to do anything about it. In fact, he actually sided with the South kind of every time there was an argument. Okay. James Buchanan is not a great dude. He was actually 65 when he was elected, and that made him the second oldest president at the time. Wow. Mm -hmm. 65 nowadays is not a very old president. No, it's, it's, yeah, (laughs) they're older now. Um (laughs) So, yeah, that Buchanan's kind of docility, let's call it, also 
saw his Democratic Party splintered into factions, and Buchanan was kind of stood on the sidelines. He was ousted a little bit, but that created a bit of a power vacuum where Abraham Lincoln and the new Republican Party seized kind of that space and yeah. became like a huge force in American politics. Now, lots went down between uh, Lincoln's election and his inauguration. Seven southern states seceded from the United States and formed a new government, the Confederate States of America. Wow. And then eight further slave states debated whether they would join the Confederacy during this time. So did this all happen bet like between November and January is what well, you're saying? Well, back then, um, Lincoln was actually going to take office in March. Like March okay. was when you... The elections were just yes. a little... Yeah, mm -hmm. So this took place year. between then and March. Now, uh, Lincoln went on this epic train ride across America like to get to the White House. Like It was intense. He had an assassination attempt against him that he oh heard about gosh. and then foiled by taking a different train at a different time across overnight. That was in Baltimore. But all along the way, he was giving these incredible speeches to like 50,000, 100,000 people. And he was just building up to the Gettysburg Address. Like he was, you know, practicing and oh. toying with those ideas. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and sometimes he was kind of, uh, um, I guess, being more understanding of the Southern side of uh, the, the equation in his speeches. And other times he was like, just like, we are going to end slavery. So he wasn't like 100% against slavery in all the speeches, but he was, I guess, trying to unite all the people. Yeah. And eventually this led to him giving the Gettysburg Address. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, again, he was almost killed. So uh, that was for sure a difficult transition yeah, period. Yeah, that's... All right. Now let's fast forward to uh, Herbert Hoover and Franklin D. Roosevelt. And just so you know, this was also the last time that uh, March was the month when you would take office. Okay. It became January after this. Now Herbert Hoover was leaving office just as the, uh, you know, the entire... United States economy had completely collapsed in the Great Depression. Right. So he was a reviled figure leaving because they, you know, they wanted to hate him because of the economy. Yeah. And they had to blame someone. You're right. And it might have been his fault. I haven't read to him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what his policies were at the time. But what I do know is that he had a very humiliating um, exit. Once FDR became the, pre the president-elect, uh, they did not get along and... Uh, Hoover kept trying to control FDR and like get him to say certain things. He wrote him a letter and said like, hey man, tell the American people that the uh, horrible economy situation is not my fault. Tell the American people that it's actually um, their fault because they're afraid of what you might do when you come into office. Doesn't make any sense. It's like the, it's like <laughs> the markets are uh, the markets are nervous about FDR, so that's why they crashed. <laughs> so he tried to get out of that's that. That's actually your fault. Yeah, it was, not my it fault. was unbelievable. And Roosevelt <laughs> called him a um, a fat, timid capon. Oh boy. <laughs> and uh, um, Hoover called him a chameleon in plaid. Now, um, in plaid. Yes, I like that. <laughs> I guess he wore a lot of plaid back then, but. Anyway, uh, Hoover told his friends, I will never be photographed with him. But, you know. Did he follow through? Yes. On the inauguration day, they were photographed together. <laughs> they exchanged a few words. That was March 4th, 19, 1933. Um, I will never be photographed yes. with him. And then another thing that happened, actually, was Roosevelt survived an assassination attempt. The first, wow. um, the, the first to occur in a presidential transition, actually. So he was vacationing. And uh, the bullets missed Roosevelt, but they mortally wounded the mayor, and they killed just a random woman in the crowd. So oh my gosh! He survived, horrible. but other people were horribly injured. Wow! And um, later, JFK was targeted as well during um, like the transition period, but that was thwarted by law enforcement. 
and that was in December 1960, that one. So it has since happened since FDR. Uh, okay, moving on, we've got uh, Harry S. Truman and Dwight D. Eisenhower. Okay. Now, those are obviously two towering names from the World War II era. Yeah. Yeah, you might remember some of their epic speeches to, you know, uh, I guess, uh, bring up the morale of the United States. Yes. Yeah. And they were they were friends. They were allies. They worked together um, in the last days of World War II, and they, you know, oversaw the victory. But they had a falling out regarding Eisenhower's silence on Senator Joe McCarthy. And Joe McCarthy was just kind of like a real wing nut back then. He was known for, like, telling everyone that Soviet and communist spies and sympathizers had infiltrated the United States. And they oh, were, yes, I remember yeah, this. They were and in they're government. Like everywhere. They were in university. Yes. They were yeah. in the film industry. Yeah. <laughs> so they were everywhere, right? They were secretly managing, mm-hmm. like, all things. So that's when the term McCarthyism kind of came into play, and it was applied to you know, anti-communist activities or rhetoric. But now the term is more broadly meant to mean demagogic, reckless, unsubstantiated accusations, as well as public attacks on character or okay. opponents. Now, um, Truman said about FDR, or sorry, about Eisenhower's silence, he said, he has betrayed almost everything I thought he stood for. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty, pretty harsh words. And then um, Truman also wrote in his diary that Eisenhower and his advisors were afraid of some kind of trick during the transition period. But then he just wrote, there are no tricks. So probably there, was, there wasn't. Probably. We don't know for sure. That's funny. Now, uh, moving on to the kind of the Vietnam scandal. So we have Lyndon B. Johnson transitioning to uh, Nixon. So Lyndon B. Johnson had decided not to run for a second term of his own. He was the VP who took over after JFK was assassinated. Okay, so he, he was like, I didn't even sign up for yeah, this exactly. job. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. So... What's really key here is that Lyndon B. Johnson kind of been flip-flopping on whether Vietnam should even be, like, a place that America was in. He had, like, up until this moment been, you know, expanding the war, sending more troops, but he had been starting to question whether more troops was the right call. He knew that it was seriously a quagmire at this point. Um, And then he was planning on doing some peace talks with um, Saigon. But what happened was... Nixon destroyed Johnson's last chance of reaching a peace settlement. And this is in the last few weeks of his presidency. He secretly persuaded the Saigon government not to participate in talks with Lyndon B. Johnson. That is awful. Why would Nixon do that? You know, I don't know, but LBJ said Nixon has blood on his hands. Wow. Yeah. And they still cooperated, uh, like, beyond that in terms of the smooth transition because but still that's a huge intervention before it's yeah Lyndon B. Johnson decided despite that to cooperate because he thought that the threat from the Soviet Union made a smooth transition like absolutely critical but like I mean I don't know Nixon could have done that because he wanted to stay in the war or because he wanted to be the one to um I don't know make peace but from what we saw in that Ken Burns Vietnam documentary we were watching was just basically that like Every president was afraid to be the one to fail, and they kept expanding it and putting it off. Yeah, because they like, didn't the want to be the guy one will deal. that the called next guy it will off. Deal. Yeah. But Nixon made sure that LBJ wasn't the last guy to deal. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. And then if you just actually talk about Nixon a little bit, um, so obviously with the Watergate scandal, he was getting impeached, and he decided to resign, and his VP had to step in with only 25 hours of ahead notice, basically. Wow. Yeah. Is that like the shortest time? Or it, the shortest it's the shortest time that didn't involve uh, the death of a president, which is, okay. I guess, immediate. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Nixon, he decided to resign at 11 a.m. on August 8th, and then a few hours later, he told the nation. So, uh, yeah, Ford, Total Gerald Ford only had 25 hours. Yeah. That's crazy. Do you think he knew? Well, I guess he, it's 
There's a possibility he knew it was coming, though. It might have been technically 25 hours, but... Um, yeah, he must have had some idea because, because like, I mean, like, obviously, if you're getting impeached... The scandal was yeah. going on for a long time, so... Um, no president had resigned before, though, so... Yeah. It wasn't it was really like, like, this will for sure happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, now we're getting back up to George Bush Sr., George H.W. I didn't actually know much about this guy, but he's super interesting. Two-term vice president, congressman, ambassador to the United Nations, ambassador to to China, National Party Chairman, CIA Director. The list goes wow. on. Wow, <laughs> that was way more than I thought you were going to say on his resume. Yes, and now he was supposed to have a friendly takeover from Ronald Reagan, who he, who he came in after, but it ended up being surprisingly rocky, mostly due to um, his cabinet nominees and, and things like that. So Bush retained numerous Reagan appointees, 27 of 53 White House staffers, but he fired everyone else. And then the real problem here was that... Um, there was like, like some of his uh, nominees got rejected and then they, they weren't sure who to pick for this. And there was kind of party infighting or whether it should be this guy or that guy for this, this role or that role. And so in the media, it was like, wow, this administration has no idea what it's doing. They seem like they're oh astray before they've even got into power. <laughs> so basically, um, that was where it was rocky. But then when you have uh, Bill Clinton taking over from George H.W., it's like yeah. downright chaotic, like turn everything up to the max now this is before our time so i hadn't heard of this before maybe you had but the nanny gate scandal no bill clinton's nominee for the attorney general he was going to be the first one to put a woman in the role and he went off the advice of his wife hillary clinton as to who to uh, nominate Nominate. and she had like really long like overly long extensive interviews with them and stuff anyway so he nominated zoe baird but Zoe Baird was rejected because it came out quite publicly that her and her husband had hired illegal immigrants to be the nanny for their children and, like, were dodging taxes in some way. Oh, and gosh. Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> so she was rejected. And then the next girl they nominated, Kimba Wood, same thing. Also what? a nanny gate scandal. Okay, yes. you think you would have checked into this, that one <laughs> no, thing afterwards. It be is like, okay, unbelievable. Let's just, let's we should watch a whole documentary <laughs> on this because it was like, are you serious? Let's just make sure that the one thing this woman doesn't have Look, is an illegal nanny. I'm all for women being uh, in high political roles. I agree with that. I think that should be the case. But um, they just, I guess, chose the wrong girl for, you know, the court of public appeal. That's, yeah. Which I guess maybe even just happened with Hillary Clinton running. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay, let's uh, let's fast forward and let's end on um, Bill Clinton back to another Bush, George yes. W. Bush. So okay. this is also super funny. So basically, um, like we heard earlier, Bill Clinton was um, slowing the transition period. He kind of favored Al Gore and, you know, he was against uh, Bush in some way. So he was like really um, not helping with that transition or yeah. the voter well, controversy. Which you can't really blame him because no, there can't. was, I mean... It was unknown who won, so you can't, you know, he's not going to go claiming that Bush won when well, that also, was not true for those 30 days. The circumstances of him leaving, I, I guess he wasn't like, I'm going to make sure that I uh, make all the right decisions. Yes. Like, he was like, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, he, he was a little salty. Yeah, he was salty. He wasn't leaving like in such a way that it was like, I'm going to make sure the Supreme Court has never worked so efficiently. Yeah, no. <laughs> that was not on his to-do Okay, so uh, George W. Bush is known for being like, exceptionally punctual, like OCD punctual. So what President Clinton did was he invited George W. Bush for coffee before the Inauguration Day ceremony, and he kept the president-elect waiting. I don't know how long it was. Uh, Reports vary, but it could have been like 
25 minutes or something. He's just waiting out the door, outside the door <laughs> to the Oval Office. But then get this. Here's the real kicker. So Bush gets in, and Clinton also invited Al Gore. Oh, my, <laughs> oh my goodness. I would Super love awkward. to be at that table. That would be hilarious. Yeah, it's so funny. Actually, it's unbelievable. Oh, boy, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And then, um, you know, Bush, during his campaign, was also like, I'm going to restore honor and integrity to the Oval Office. <laughs> And that was obviously a swipe at Bill Clinton and his, let's call them yeah. sexual misadventures. Yeah. Yeah. So it went Bush, Clinton, Bush, and then the George W. Bush was like, we're going back to the good old days. <laughs> it's always weird to me that the father and son were actually so close. It's bizarre. Like, it's so strange. Also, because when you think about uh, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, husband and wife, they were many years apart from... Totally. Like when she totally. ran, right? So, yeah. I mean, it would you would just think the father and son would be further apart, but they weren't. They were. Yeah, husband and wife could be so apart, yeah, but the father yeah, and son, no. Yeah, it's so strange. Well, just imagine if they were back-to-back. Like, that. how is that any different from the, uh, you know, postmaster general giving his job to his son when he yes, retires? no, that, that's kind it's of It's not Jacksonian, like. is it? It makes like, you I know think, people like, voted, oh, but still. <laughs> what is this, divine That's a lot of bushes <laughs> in that one time. <laughs> it certainly is. And um, I guess all we know now is that Jeb didn't get the presidency so probably the bush bush thing's done yeah <laughs> i think so um well yeah that's those are the other uh choppy presidential presidential transitions across time it seems clear that uh, america has a, a lengthy history with maybe poor losers or i don't know just sour yeah, and it sour definitely seemed to get like <laughs> exponential through the years you know like now it's way more elections than, yeah and when we have the not. kind of extreme polarization that there is now i guess it's just like everyone wants to say their barb yeah all right well thank signing you. off uh, yep. thanks everyone for listening see you next time uh,